Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. So today we can uh, got got a maybe we'll see how this goes, but just a, an interesting, almost a, a side comment I'd like to get your 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 thoughts on. But uh, I'll, I'll I'll start with some context and then we'll dive right into this specific thing I'm thinking about. So uh, I've I found my conversations more often have been so kind of a realization of. Hey, that's a that's a lie someone's telling you. Um, it, almost almost in recognition of that internal voice being a lie, and for for anything from unhealthy self focused thoughts or even thoughts about others, maybe maybe a, a heightened sensitivity to something someone else said, and I'm like, well, wait a second, it sounds like it sounds like you're believing a lie there. Um, with, with specifically, you know, focus on, I think Satan might be telling you a lie, you know, very much, very clear presence of that. But what stood out to me was when I was in a conversation with some other believers and someone was, was describing actually a very similar scenario, but the phrasing used, I thought was quite interesting. And it was, it was false narrative. And I don't know, it stood out to me as, as that, oh, wow, are we... Why are we why are we using that phrase false narrative? It was almost just happenstance, you know, the this person was using that phrase to describe someone else as just believing this false narrative. And I was like, there's no there's no person behind that. There's no um there's no attack there. There's just sort of this happenstance. You kind of fell into this path that may or may not be true. Um, for some reason that really struck a chord with me. And I'm curious what your take is on that. Yeah, I remember when we um, you mentioned that, Pat, because I'd just been with an old friend of mine from D.C. We were, spent the morning together, and he used the phrase false narrative. And in his situation, he was a pastor for many years in a church, and uh, someone he'd brought in um, over a period of time, he said, to create this false narrative as to how he was uh, being... Uh, conducting himself as a leader and how he was treating this person and so on and so forth. And eventually he uh, drove the other, drove this uh, pastor out. And so when you said false narrative, I went, wow, I just heard false narrative. Mm. Um, so it's a phrase I haven't used a great deal, but I certainly know what it means. And uh, so, yeah, let's, let's dive in. Maybe if we're way over our head, we'll just slowly sink to the bottom and uh, <laughs> take all our, take our seven listeners with us. That's right. We're up to seven listeners for all of you, and I know you find that to be good news. <laughs> it's funny when you say that because you actually have been increasing, so people probably think we're, we're paying attention. <laughs> the numbers are real. They haven't been kidding this whole time. <laughs> you know, if anybody ever gives us grief, we tell them, you get up at the hour we do. We, we get up to do this thing. <laughs> there goes all our reward in heaven. Uh, so let's just start on this just real quickly because um, – 
even even some people wouldn't be particularly clear on narrative and it's just simply as a it comes from the old latin meaning to tell a story or it's the story you tell so a false narrative is a false story that you're telling and um so not on a humorous side is i've seen I have experienced false narratives. I'm sure I've told false narratives. And uh, I've seen the uh, consequences in my friend's life and in my own life uh, with a false narrative. And so it's worth, it's, worth, um, it's worth talking about because there's a rather simple corrective in scripture. And uh, I find most people are not very familiar with it anymore. So I'm talking about False narrative. We might as well start, you know, for fun, uh, since most listeners would probably be Protestant. <clears throat> Rodney Stark, and we've talked about a lot of Stark's books over uh, time, Rise of Christianity and Cities of God and so on and so forth. Several years ago, he, he he's a Baylor now, uh, Baptist school. And... Uh, his, his book's called Bearing False Witness, which is essentially telling a false narrative. Hmm. And bearing false witness is one of the Ten Commandments. So if nothing else, one of the values in um, talking about this today is it is one of the Ten Commandments. Of course, we always like to say, we're, we're not under law. <laughs> That's a whole other topic. <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, in one regard. So Bearing False Witness, guess what that book's about? Lying. <laughs> <laughs> in general, all the Talk things. Talk about succinct. <laughs> it's actually a history of the lies Protestants have told about the Roman Catholic Church. Hmm. Wow. That's yeah. a bold move. Yeah, where and the, the the times that uh, Protestants have borne false witness. Now, Stark's not saying a the Roman Catholic Church is better. B they get it right. C he just says we've been telling a false narrative. And uh, now, when I I knew nothing about all these skirmishes and. God's church when I came to faith. I was raised in a tradition where I really didn't pay much attention to the Bible, uh, nor, nor church or anything like that. So I remember you know, early on people saying, oh, well, of course not Catholic. They believe you got to work your way to heaven. And, um, well, they don't. But that's a false narrative. And the so a lot of times uh, a false narrative comes out of your own insecurity. And I've found this is another swipe at uh, evangelicalism or Protestantism. But especially in the tradition, it's not even a tradition, it's about 200-year-old expression of the gospel, it's driven by a fair amount of insecurity. And the insecurity, as I've often said, is that the finny type of evangelicalism that exploded in America and is so wildly popular 
mainly because it's so wildly individualistic, really doesn't have much ballast in this boat. It doesn't look to creeds, traditions, church teaching, history. I used to joke, most of our understanding of the gospel begins in about 1995. And um, <clears throat> so because of that, 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 there's sort of an underlying insecurity that drives a false narrative there. And in Stark's book, uh, you know, he doesn't get into all the reasons why. It's just simply there's, we bear false witness. So on a macro scale, you see that happening. Traditions bearing false witness against other traditions. It's often an attempt to get people into your tradition because you don't want to be a part of that bad tradition. Okay, for a lot of people, they're going to go, okay, ha-ham, but I don't do that. Well, as a matter of fact, I think a lot of us do. I'll give you, uh, let's cut to the chasing. I'll give you the... Uh, <clears throat> No, we'll, we'll do it this way. <laughs> Why well, cut to the chase when you? Yeah, can... <laughs> we'll cut to the we'll, yeah, Let's cut to the chase. But this isn't a this isn't a oh poor me story. But I was um, a church planner many many years ago, back in the late eighteen hundreds, and uh, we uh, <laughs> we so uh, we brought on some of our staff, and uh, I'll never forget the uh, there was just there was just odd things began to happen. Chief of which, one time I'm getting ready to just to uh, give the sermon, and uh, this person comes up to me and starts using words that children should not hear, telling me what a terrible person I was. I remember I had to say to him, excuse me, I have to give a sermon in a minute from now. Is it okay if we had this conversation another time? Wow. But I walked up and I was shaking. And, uh, well, it, the whole thing came out the following week in an elder meeting when people began to point, compare notes about all these strange, really undercutting conversations, uh, the way I was described, being described. And this person uh, said, yeah, maybe I kind of was behind that. And someone said, what about this conversation? Yeah, maybe I was kind of behind that. Well, I just was like, what the... And then this person reached into his backpack and pulled out 40 letters he had collected. Which, and I read, opened the first one and it said, Dear elders, what the hell is wrong with you? And I, I closed it. I couldn't even read it. Well, obviously that person was fired. And, wow. uh, but um, it was a false narrative. And uh, so I was on the receiving end of that because, you know, X amount of people in our church, uh, simply sided with this person. And there was no talking them away because false narratives are good at creating a loyalist group. Um, <clears throat> and that was not one of the happiest moments in my life. I, I learned something about, I, you know, I wanted to be popular i wanted to be liked i wanted to be excellent things and there was just there's no way i could there just there was no retrieving of that now here's where i'd like to camp for a few moments because there is a way to do a preemptive strike on a false narrative and it's found in proverbs eighteen seventeen. yes back 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 in the old testament verses people hardly pay attention to anymore it says this, 
There are two sides to every story. The first one to speak sounds true until you hear the other side and they set the record straight. Probably, probably worth repeating. There are two sides to every story. The first one sounds true until you hear the other side and they set the record straight. So what does that does that demonstrate a lack of uh, hearing the other side or a lack of speaking the other side? Hearing. It's called <clears throat> in business world they call it properly triangulation, which is uh, one of the should be one of the seven deadly sins. It's taking someone aside and saying, "Well, you know, Pat Brown, yeah, he did this. He's this sort of person." You go, hmm. They sit there and go, oh, I have a feeling that's a false narrative. Well, here's what Proverbs 18 says. Really? Well, let's get Pat on the phone right now and see how that squares with his side of the story. Hmm. <laughs> that's so foreign today. <laughs> wow. I'm glad you said that. Sounds absurd, Mike. <laughs> it's absurd. But here's the, uh, <clears throat> you see, from my friend in D.C., he's a wonderful man. Even some of the elders, none of them were wise enough to go, huh. Well, let's get him on the phone right now or get him in here and uh, see if that's, see if your narrative story, there are two sides to every story. The first one to speak sounds true until you hear the other side and they set the record straight. Now, by the way, set the record straight, straight meaning as it does throughout scripture, you know, true is, um, they might come in and go, that's absolutely true. I am an idiot or I did that and I repent. But a false narrative is more often the case. And um, I was even once in a setting in a church where a couple of people had gone to the elders and given a false narrative about me. And those elders took it as gospel truth. They asked me to do some things to, and I, and I just, I was floored. And it wasn't until the whole thing was resolved and we actually rooted out a false narrative on the part of my accusers, what literally the Bible would call slander, that I uh, met with them and said, have you never read, or next time this happens, actually, what I phrased, I said, listen, the next time something like this happens to someone else, why, instead of your first impulse is, let's see if we can do the X, Y, Z with Mike, would be, well, let's get those people in here. Have him sit down with Mike, and let's hear his side of the story. Then we'll decide what we do. Mm -hmm. So we have, we have <clears throat> this scenario, false, false witness or false narrative when there's specifically someone on the other side just kind of spinning that or telling that. What about 
the the other scenario where it's it's more of that internal voice, you know, whether that's self deception or, um, yeah, more of that like the that that voice in your head that's telling you, ah, you know, you're not good enough here, or oh, that person meant to hurt you, you know, those types of things where, mm-hmm. um, how do you not fall victim to that? Same thing. All right, yeah. Maybe the better question is, how do you hear the other side? What's what's the what's a healthy way to handle that? To hear the other side in that situation. Well, that, that's easier than we imagine. Find someone who you think would actually be truthful, and ask them. Someone you will trust, and you're confident in. Uh, the reason I say this is I've seen two things. One, in what um, Christian Smith famously calls the gospel today is moralistic, therapeutic deism. I put the emphasis on the therapeutic part. And so it might be you're, you're being, uh, let's just say you, you drive in a false narrative because you, you really like to prove to people you're right. And you feel pretty insecure about that. So you go to someone and say, hey, you know, about do I do I do this? A therapeutic person is going to go, oh, no, Mike, you're not that way. Don't worry about it. They're always going to, um, you know, treat you like a little doggy and start rubbing your tummy so you'll roll over on your back and curl your legs <laughs> up and go, oh, thank you. It feels so good. Whereas that little voice... That you don't know if it's false or not. The last thing you need is someone who's going to just simply all the time, no, you're a good person. Mm. So it's got to be someone you, you are confident in will be a consiglior, who, as you know, in Mario Puzo's The Godfather, he is a crap detector or a BS detector who could tell the mafia don the godfather the unvarnished truth without fear of losing his life Hmm. same thing dagonet did in king arthur's round table he was the court jester who did not risk life or limb in saying what the young boy said in the famous fable, The Emperor's New Clothes. He's naked. Nobody else would tell the emperor that because they wanted the approval of the emperor. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. All things come back to having a really good crap detector. <laughs> Can't they do. They do. They. This is a part of the... Um, the insidiousness of the Enlightenment is the assumption that you can be, that we can be completely consciously self-aware of all our intentions, motives, meanings, behaviors, impulses. We're on top of all of them. Anyone who in any way suggests that we're not is either invasive, uh, impertinent, 
rude or mean. What just came to mind for me here was uh, was actually, you know, it's, it's so fascinating. I'm thinking about different conversations I've had about pretty big life decisions where someone has felt confident because that person prayed and sought the Lord and and felt they, they had an answer and then went and made this decision. And I've realized I've never asked the question to any of those people, hey, who calls your BS? Because <laughs> <laughs> you may, maybe you did hear from God, but if you didn't, who's going to let you know? That's right. And that, that really is just such, I mean, it's so, it's almost silly. It's so simple, but it is, it is quite profound that I, I rarely see that. I did not have that for most of my faith. And yeah, that's, it's a pretty cr- critical thing. Yeah, we, we do, you know, we've urged listeners in the past to get a copy of William Wilberforce's letter penned in 1815 to his 13-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, where he says, I hope by now, and he was confident by her age, she had accustomed herself to the friendly reproofs of friends. And then he quotes Jeremiah, for the conscience is wicked, who can understand it? In other words, you're the easiest person to dupe, to con, to kid, to create a false narrative. And to imagine that you can turn inside and go for a walk in the woods with God or various other things I've heard people do is the height of um, of enlightenment thinking. That uh, I just have to get in this vertical shaft of life, light between God and me, and I'm completely self-aware. Well, then why in hell? Sorry. <laughs> But I do get irritated. Why in heaven's name would you even have a church? Why would you even go to a church? Why would you even, you know, uh, oops, I'm starting to describe American evangelicalism. Yeah, I was, really? I mean. <laughs> you have no need for anyone else. Right. What was coming to mind was uh, <clears throat> exactly that. I mean, there, there's a lot of, of good that has come from uh well, yeah, there are a lot of good things. A lot, a lot of people grew up and found the faith through evangelicalism um, and have grown in the faith and, and whatnot. A lot of good. And it's just, again, thinking about false narrative and really, I like how you, you said false witness um, and then the lies. Man, if, if anyone can take a good thing and spin it and just twist it ever so slightly, uh, that's that's our enemy. You know, and that's, that's, I think, what... Uh, what is so profound about just how Satan can twist and, and warp. And of course it's easy to think of the, the little devil dancing, but, and it's, e- it's easy as Christians to think, Oh, that's the culture. Satan's twisting the culture, but it's even more damning to think about, wow, how much has he twisted our good intentions or how much has he twisted these subtle things in, in the body that we have bought into the lies, the false witness that we'd have bought into. Like, yeah, you said it. Why do I need to go to church on a Sunday? Why can't I just, I can just, I can, I can stream it. It's the beauty of, of quarantine life. I can just stream <laughs> church on Sunday. 
I know it's, uh, and you know, I never thought about this before, but uh, false narrative. Um, someone might listen to this and go, um, boy, you really got to, you know, you have a stick in your craw about evangelicalism. No, I'm evangelical. I'm evangelical the way that Irenaeus described it, that it means relying upon the apostolic teaching. And so part of the reason that the creed said, you know, one holy Catholic apostolic church, Catholic meaning universal, and um, apostolic evangelical. So I am a evangelical Catholic. Now that means, <clears throat> if you're familiar at all with church history, the first 300 years were rather chaotic. I mean, we're not fighting anymore. Donatism and see, I most people go say what, but there is a lot of false narratives being spun. I mean, early on, you see the Book of Acts. Everybody's giving everything. Here comes this couple. Here, here's everything we have. Well, what did the Apostle Peter say? Then don't think so. Don't think so. Why'd you lie? The gods. You hear that noise outside? That's a great your graves are being dug. Hmm. When was the last time you heard that in church? <laughs> so uh, my point being uh, evangelical. And of course the, the term really does disappear. It means essentially good news, but it, it was used to mean relying upon these creeds, these this apostolic teaching. And that's why Luther Luther's followers resurrect the term for a short period of time, but they're evangelical. They're trying to say, we're trying to reform the Roman Catholic Church um, by going back to the apostolic teaching. And of course, that quickly uh, morphed into protesting against church Protestants. Then the term disappears again. And then it's resurrected by Finney. Uh, but it's resurrected to mean individualizing, personalizing, and intensifying. There's no reference to it. Yeah. Historic use of the term. I think it's kind of become a false narrative. It's a, it's a, it's an American spin on an ancient idea, but it's wildly popular in the United States. So much so that the average evangelical, would have would I have almost no under no clue as to how this word evolved. And I understand that language evolves, and I'm not I'm not saying that. I am saying it's not true to the original narrative regarding who's an evangelical. And so there's a I know I got you. That's a 35,000 foot a little bit of history lesson, but uh, more, you know, on the ground. And I only know of one business that ever did this. If um, the man who founded the business did tell with a couple of occasions where someone came in and said, yeah, blah, blah, blah. but you know, Pat, Pat Brown doesn't feel that way about this. Uh, you know, he's kind of opposed to it. And this person would say, really, well, let's get Pat on the phone right now and bring him in here. 
Now, by the way, Pat, how often would you have to do this in a company before the company's culture changes? Oh, my. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That was a company where people didn't do that. Why not? Now you imagine, by the way, you're standing in line getting ready to bring your offering. You know, you are about to brag on it. How, 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 what a great sacrifice this was to give. But you knew very well, you'd socked away a fair amount of money and had to update your kitchen because, oh my God, your kitchen was 15 years old. It's dated. And uh, you had to get the XYZ. But you're going to present this to Peter as this great sacrifice you're making. And you watch them carry two bodies out past you. And you turn to your spouse and say, let's change our story real quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and suffer the embarrassment of everybody else in line. This really is 100%. And truthfully, yours is 2.6%. Guess what? It's better to be honest. You don't know what's going to happen other than you're going to be ashamed. Nothing wrong with that. Shame has a place in the Bible. You can shame people into good behavior. But a false narrative. If a church actually practiced this, you would cut out 90% of the gossip the character assassination, the schisms. Because my friend's church wouldn't have split. But because people can do it, I was going to say they can do it privately. They're doing it privately, but that first private conversation, take my friend's church in D.C., if the first thing out of the listener's mouth was, really, well, let's call so-and-so and get him in here and see how that squares with your story. What do you think is the chief reason we don't do that? <laughs> I mean, it was interesting to think through even, even the, the concept of a safe place. You know, you should, you should be able to, say whatever it is you want and if, if you're saying something that's accusatory it's not uh, that's not necessarily a safe place if we bring the other person in <laughs> that's where i think things start to fall apart yeah that's really a good question pat um really good question so i'm just reminded of what my friend from dc told me because he he went through a period of time where he was crushed but you know eventually when things started to come to light, he wrote to the letter, a letter to the elders and, and they listed many fine things about this person. Um, yeah, uh, but he did say something to the effect of, uh, all things will come to light. Now there's a man who you can say that 
with a certain serene confidence, you really do live in the presence of God and the presence of eternity, where all this will come to light. So people who would live in that light, and frankly, if you want a pretty simple thing to do, would be to memorize Psalm, I mean, Proverbs 18, 17. Memorize the thing. won't take that long. In fact, even if you don't memorize it word for word, here's the gist. One side of a story sounds right until you hear the other side. And if you actually believe that... Word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit, joint in light, and able, is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. If you actually believe that's true, then behave that way. And the moment you hear something that is undercutting, undermines your confidence in that person, in some way insinuates something about them, just go, this is going to come to light. I wouldn't want to act on one side of the story. I shouldn't even entertain an accusation. The Bible does say don't entertain an accusation against an elder. It seems to me it's reasonable to generalize that. Don't entertain an accusation against anyone. It seems to me everyone right now, they have permanently deformed wrists that uh, always have their phone cocked toward them. It wouldn't be that difficult to get on FaceTime or the phone or something to Zoom. Say, hey, I'm here with a pat. And uh, I should reverse it if I was humble. <clears throat> pat says, hey, I'm here on the phone with Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Mike says, uh, here's the story. Here's how it went down. Here's the narrative. Is that true? You know, it's just what I'm what I'm encouraged by here, Mike. I don't know, encouraged or hopeless, <laughs> somewhere in between. Just thinking about again, thinking Christian circles. What what you can hear? We can talk about culture. We can talk about out there. We can talk about how the world's so politicized. And but what you just said was uh, something that could demarcate uh, those who who are in this faith tradition. You know, you, you don't get slanderous accusations in amongst Christians. You just don't hear that. I mean, that, that would be incredible if that were what was said and how we were recognized and how we were marked. Hmm. So, yeah, so true. So yeah. true. It's just if, a, we, if we ran our businesses that way. And second, yeah, if we, um, because we should be political, but frankly, you know, there's not a news flash for anyone. Both parties spin false narratives all the time. <laughs> and what I have found, it could be wrong, maybe this is a false narrative, but it seems to me that Republicans, uh, will recognize they have a speck in their eye, but daggum Democrats got a log in theirs when it comes to false narratives. And then my friends who are Democrats, 
yeah, maybe, you know, a little speck here, but the daggum Republicans got a log in their eye. It's stunning. Yeah, yeah, it is. We really are. Because you mentioned, you know, crap detector, they were called devil's advocate. Um, in the Bible, they're called prophets. And we really are in the Western, in Western Christianity, a not-for-profit tradition. Yes, listeners, pun. I have to spell it. We lose. <laughs> I think this is why Ian McGilchrist says Western Christianity is active in undermining itself. Active. Because he calls, think about this. Here's someone who professes no faith, warm to the sacred and, and um, spirituality. He says the right hemisphere is prophetic because it widens the lens. But he also cites all the neuroimaging study that 95% of the Western world population biases the left hemisphere. Not one hemisphere isn't better than the other. But even 87% of people who are left-handed in the Western world who ought to bias their right hemisphere because the brain is contralateral, they actually bias their left hemisphere. Artists, after initially learning their craft, bias their left hemisphere. It just goes on and on and on and on. And yet I know people all the time say, yeah, I'm left-handed, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm right-brained. That too is a false narrative because they made a self-assessment based on what? This is what I feel. Because everyone who's left-handed is right-brained. No, only 11% are. Oh, because, see, you know, I, I'm an artist, I'm a musician, I'm a... I am, I draw, I paint, I, no. That's a self-assessment. Gilchrist says, the prophetic, the right brain is, the right hemisphere is prophetic because it widens the lens out. Now, that's another way of saying, there's one side of a story that sounds good. Tell you widen the lens out, get the other side of the story. All of a sudden the story becomes a lot more complex. There might be blame all the way around. There might be no blame. There might be more blame than we imagined. All those things, Pat, for the person who generally brings the initial accusation, challenge the simplicity of that initial accusation. You get a therapeutic society. You only get a small percentage of people who are up for that kind of complexity, challenge, and probing that might go all the way to the core of, okay, Mike, why'd you do that? Here's why you did it. You want to be the smartest person in the room. That's why you made that little jab there. You wicked man. That's the real story. <laughs> 